heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, 2021, the first episode I'm recording in 2021. And what better guest for 2021 to kick off than Ryan Spagnoli? He was on here before we talked Patriots. This is a pure Patriots episode, so you can either stay and listen and learn some stuff about the team, listen to our pain, or if you're a Pats fan, get some insight. But Ryan, Happy New Year, and uh, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. Happy New Year. Sorry about the loss last night in the World Juniors. Big win for the U.S. Uh, what a win that was. I, I, had to, I had to make a comment there uh, uh, to start us off. Just salt in the wound, but you know what? Like, the fact that you guys were just, it was just faster, and it just wasn't our night. Like, we unfortunately had the one game that was bad in the worst possible time, but you know what? It, it is what it is. We, we won gold last year. It's not like we're in a gold medal drought or anything. No, no, that's for sure. And then the other thing, too, like, I thought the, the, that first goal was so important for the U.S. Canada had scored, what was it, every game they had been up one nothing within two minutes of the game, right? So that, that first goal was so big for them in terms of, you know, gaining momentum and kind of putting Canada on their heels and... Uh, they had a good game plan. Spencer Knight's the, the real deal, man. The real deal. He is, honestly, because uh, after the, they had the opener on Christmas Day against Russia, and that's where I was like, not too sure. But then after that, he just like was locked in and loaded. Like sometimes you need you need a game like that to really get yourself going. And plus, to the forwards USA had just shut down Canada at every chance they got. Oh yeah, for sure. No, that was uh, they had a good game plan. They kind of grinded it out, and and it was it was a good game. You knew it was going to be a good game regardless. And I was happy about it. You know what? It was probably the closest, one of the closer games of the tournament, to be honest. Because oh yeah, most of it's the so top heavy though. Yeah. That tournament, right? Like you got five good teams. Um, I mean, that's just that's just how hockey is, right? There's really nothing you can do about it. But exactly, exactly. You know what? I always say that every year. You have your five teams that are favored. Someone may surprise, but besides that, it's usually Canada, U.S., Finland, Russia, and Sweden. Sweden. Those are usually the five. But then, like, someone always comes along and kind of like. Sparks like we almost saw Germany make it to the semifinals. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. But anyway, um, we got the hockey talk out of the way. So for those of you who liked it or appreciated, you know what? Laugh at my pain now. Laugh in Ryan's glory and the thing. But congrats to the U.S. <laughs> on gold. But let's talk some Patriots and not this ideal season. But when I was doing the record calculator back, like when the schedule came out in May. This was like the seven and nine was honestly my worst case record. I thought this team at first had eleven and five potential, more or less, when Cam came here and we didn't know what to get. But the one thing I can take away as a pro is look, we're one and zero to start the new year, so we have a winning record in twenty twenty one. Twenty one's already better a better year than twenty twenty. Yeah, that's for sure. No, I, I think that was a little generous that eleven and five. I I kind of yeah. had them in the the ceiling ten and six, right? They'd be able to kind of squeeze some wins out, maybe that they they shouldn't have and. And win the games they were supposed to, and ironically, it went the complete opposite, right? They lost most of the games that you kind of expected them to. Seattle, you know, Kansas City, and, and I certainly thought they'd split with the Bills. At the worst-case scenario, they, they look like the real deal, this team, for real, uh, for now. And then, obviously, you drop two bad ones, San Francisco, you know, Denver, Houston. Those games are just, you can't lose those games if you're expecting to win the, to, to make the playoffs, and 
Uh, seven and nine is probably right where people had them. I, like I said, I thought they were ceiling ten and six. Uh, probably would go somewhere around the eight and eight, maybe a nine and seven team. Uh, but they're kind of in a weird territory, right? They're seven and nine. They're in a spot where they won too many games where you're not in the top ten, and you're not in that quarterback position where you really need one. Then you know Washington, uh, even like San Francisco, teams like that that you. You were bad, but you weren't bad enough to get into the top 10 and get a quarterback, and you might have to pay some baggage to get in there. Yeah, exactly. And when I say 11 and 5, like, that was like me being very generous. Like, yeah, like, it's me. I get you. Yeah, it's like me going, like, yeah, like, best case scenario, you know what, there. Because, like, there were certain games in the schedule where I was like, okay, like, like you said, Denver, Houston, those are the games where I'm like, okay, we sh- maybe should have won. Those are losses you regret. I didn't think, like, for example, San Francisco and LA, like the Rams, was going to be just absolute, like, we'd get destroyed. But then again, we've won games like Baltimore where I didn't think that was going to happen. And Mother Nature was on our side. And then Arizona, too, was another one I could see us splitting, potentially. Like, I could, could have seen us win that game or losing that game. But, man, this is probably going to be the most intriguing offseason. And I think a little bit better just because now we know to get a quarterback immediately. I felt like last year, like Patriot fans were just waiting on that Brady announcement of what he was going to do. And then once that happened, everyone else was kind of coming into place and the Patriots didn't react fast enough. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, they were the last few off seasons uh, and Bill, and you'll hear people say Bill making excuses regarding, you know, that they, they kind of handcuffed themselves this season with the amount of spending that they did in the last five to six years and retaining guys, maybe overpaying a little bit at some spots um, to kind of keep that dynasty going, maybe try to get as many rings as they could with Tom here and kind of that key veteran core. Uh, now, they're in the top three, top five in the league right now in cap space. The most cap space I think they've had in the Belichick era. They're right over $60 million. They could get some grievance with uh, if Cannon retires, if Hightower retires, you could, you're looking at close to $80 million in cap space. Um, so this is a huge offseason. We've heard Bill kind of reference it several times throughout the year. Uh, which makes me think he's super excited about it and, and really ready to to reload this team with the amount of you know uh, flexibility they have financially. Uh, the question is how much do they use to you know kind of in house to keep guys? They have some key free agents as well as you know uh, going out and spending and improving their roster externally. Yeah, exactly, because I l- saw the list of free agents, and also too, whenever you saw, uh, whenever I saw your tweet from you on Sunday saying like this, maybe this last guy's game, I'm like, Jesus, I'm getting emotional over here. But yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, White, yeah. you've seen Belichick move on from from veteran running backs, right? Vet Chamberine, yeah. Deion Lewis, and now James White, kind of all in that similar role. Um, you know, playing certain packages, third down back. You know, f- you know, can take carries, but certainly can't take the the full workload, but are super valuable in their slots. And, you know, you heard Belichick speak very highly of J.J. Taylor a few weeks back. James White's 29, uh, played his lowest snap count, could be looking at a decent payday somewhere else. Um, and, and I think I speak for everybody, you know, whatever he chooses to do, obviously super thankful for what he did, went through so much this year, you know, personally and kind of really fought through it under the circumstances. And, uh, yeah, he's him and Tooney are interesting ones, what they'll do there. I, I I do think they'll move on from both of those guys just because they don't want to pay, you know, top dollar for guys like that where they have replacements there for, for a cheaper option and younger. Exactly. The um, only free agent or who's number one on my list besides Jackson is still David Andrews just because you know how 
critical. We saw that in the 2019 season, how crucial like him not being a part of the team was. But I do agree with you with the uh, White situation and Tooney. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they moved on from him, especially considering he was the franchise tag last year. But with White moving on, I feel like Sony kind of was auditioning for that, you know what, to be that new replacement third down back. Uh, hopefully Damian Harris is fully healthy next year because I think he'd get bulk of the carries and also to like to work in like Taylor, see how Burkhead is, if he's healthy or not, with or fully recovered from the ACL. It's it's going to be a very interesting offseason. Yeah, for sure. No, I think my my three guys, I'm, I'm carving out a piece now for Pat's public, kind of my, my offseason predictions, which way they should go. Uh, and my three, obviously, Jackson will be back. It, it'll just be at what cost, right? He'll, be, he'll have a first or second round tender on him. So teams that do sign him will have to give up that pick next year uh, and also pay pretty top dollar for him. So he doesn't really have the negotiation rights that he would want. Um, as a restricted free agent, I think he will be back. It'll just be at what, how many years and, and how much money. Uh, that's a guy that you should see back. But for my guys, that's obviously David Andrews, number one. He seems like a Patriot lifer. Uh, saw his exit press conference the other day, uh, kind of choked up in tears, talking about what he went through last year to kind of get back on the field this year and how much, you know, the Patriots have meant to him. And I guess you can take that one way or the other, uh, whether it's, you know, happy, sad or, or sad, sad, right? But uh, he had mentioned, you know, was so thankful for the Patriots, really the only ones that gave him a shot. He kind of saw himself not being in the situation he has. Obviously, these guys, uh, especially Lyman, they may only hit the open market once in their career just because their their career length is so short. Um, but that's a guy that I think will stay. I think he's a Patriot lifer, somebody that they view as a core guy going forward. Kind of the passing of the torch from, you know, in the early part of the dynasty, you had those legends like Brewski and, and Vrabel and Tom, and then the second part, McCordy. Right, Brady again and Gronk and all these guys. Now it's you know passing that to the third generation of core Patriot you know leaders, and I think Andrews is at the top of that list. I'd love to see Lawrence Guy back. I think what he does in the middle of that defense and that front seven, uh, being able to, to eat double teams all year long, he's such a crucial piece. And kind of what he does goes super unnoticed on the film, and you know you don't necessarily focus on that because he plays D tackle. Uh, so those two guys, as well as bringing back Adam Butler, I think that's another guy. Young kid, uh, certainly earned himself. And it's interesting talking about two undrafted free agents there. If you want to link Jackson in as well, that, that's that's three. So uh, what a find there for those three guys. And I think those three guys are, are key pieces moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Because like you said, too, you want those core guys, those like leaders in the locker room. Because I always remember this, too. I heard Clayus Campbell say in an interview uh, two months ago about the Jacksonville situation, why that happened. And he said after that 2018 season, they lost guys like Mercedes Lewis and Puzlesny to retirement who not only keep guys in check on the field, but off the field. That's why I feel like so many people are thankful for Cam, because obviously on field there was some, obviously some one step forward, two step back is the way I describe it. But his off the field, keeping himself accountable and making sure to keep others accountable and just having that locker room bonding, I feel like that's the element. Guys like Andrews, McCourty, even Matthew Slater, who I still think is one of the most underrated members of the roster, bring to this team. And you need guys like that. In order to win, you need character on, like, I'll say it again, on and off the field. For sure. No, that, that that's, like I said, those guys, and, you know, not to say Tooney and, and White, they certainly fill that void as well. Those are guys that I would love to see here in the future. If they do retain them, you'll, you won't hear a complaint out of me. Uh, but like I said, I just think from a cap and, and financial perspective, um, those are guys that they have replacements. Michael, on when you, 
certainly, you know, blossomed as a rookie, can can step right in and play that that toony spot, and then, you know, you have a one of probably one of the best backfields in the league, most you know depth at that position. Burkhead is a free agent as well, uh, but I think that's a guy that they'll try to keep around. He's at age thirty one, someone who can contribute both on special teams and and kind of in spurts here. Uh, but I think you're looking at a, a Sony and Damian Harris, um, you know, two backfield led by them. And, and obviously, you know, Taylor, if he can earn a spot in camp and then whatever they do with, with Burkhead and White. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just also looking at your tweet right here, um, your pinned tweet about your dream offseason. I sent it to a buddy of mine who's also a Pats fan today. And I said, literally what you have in here is everything I would love to see. And the one thing I just want to move on to quickly I saw is veteran reliable tight end. Because obviously... Look, the rookies this year didn't really do much, except I was I – I won't lie. I had a smile when Asiasi caught that touchdown. I was really happy oh, for, for the sure. guy. Yeah, oh, everybody did, for sure. Yeah, yeah. but um, I, I do agree, though, in the sense where not saying to go after like a Hunter Henry or a Zachers just because you want to keep your cap space manageable unless you can get them for a cheaper deal. Um, but I'm just trying to think of other names you could bring in potentially to fill in that void because for his – like Asiasi showed Sunday, yeah, you still need someone with uh, – reliability and someone who's got a good track record coming in to help this tight end core out. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's, it's guys that are, you know, could be on the cheaper side, right? Guys that can, that have experience in the league, you know, can contribute and catch it 30, 35 balls, play in spurts and, and be reliable and kind of take the load off those rookies. Uh, I think that was a tough situation for them with no training camp and just kind of being thrown into the fire. Both of them were, were in and out with, with, you know, injuries, and then Asiasi had the personal matter with his friend dying, so just a tough year overall in them. I, I will say I am a little concerned with them. I don't think they, they you know, adapted to the NFL game, but that's particularly a spot where it takes tight ends a while, right? When you look at a guy like TJ Hawkinson, who's off to the Pro Bowl this year, his rookie season, I, I think he had, you know, 25 catches for 400 yards, really nothing in Detroit. That's a tough position in the league because it demands so much in the blocking end, and then obviously being asked to contribute in the passing game, that's a tough position to step in and dominate right away like it would be for a quarterback or receiver nowadays. Uh, but for guys that, that I would like, you know, there's a guy like Jared Leverett out there who could kind of fill that void. You know, Jared Cook, Tyler Croft, you know, guys like that that can kind of step in, be a little bit on the cheaper side, and, and, and contribute in ways that you need. I'd love a John Smith. I think that's a guy that will get decent money. He's probably the number two tight end on the market behind Hunter Henry. Uh, but certainly, I mean, even if they went out and got Henry, right, that, that's, a, that's a big get. But also you're looking at probably 10 to $11 million a year. So if they can afford it and be able to, to get reliable pieces as well as retain the guys they need to, fine. I'm all for it. But I also think they took those two guys. They traded up for Asiasi for a reason. They view them. You know, as key pieces for the future, at least give them another year or two to, to really, you know, get a good look at them and see if they can handle the load. But those three guys really stand out to me because you're not really demanding too much in terms of of a price tag, and they are also, you know, proven NFL tight ends that can contribute. The one metaphor I want to use for that, it's kind of like when you see a hockey team go out and sign like a third or a guy you know who's going to be on the third or fourth line, but you know, like, hey, you're not expecting him to be great and just perform. But you know what? Go out there, do your role, and that's all we ask. Like that's yeah, where yeah, that's that's perfect. I mean, I'm a Bruins fan, so a guy like Chris Wagner, yeah, you know, someone like that. Uh, you know, thinking around the league, even like a Pat Maroon, maybe maybe a little bit better than that. Something, you know, a guy that you can put out there. You don't necessarily have to worry about. They're going to play their role. They're not going to complain about getting their touches. 
just there for along for the ride. They'll contribute when they need to, but also serve as a veteran piece to kind of help develop the younger guys and make that transition a little bit smoother. It's kind of like what um, before he blossomed and was great, but what kind of what Ryan O'Reilly was at first before he obviously had his coming out party with uh, St. Louis. Yes. Um, but no, I love that metaphor. I love that, that analogy. But like even with the tight end argument, I loved how you said it takes him sometimes years to develop because I've seen the argument recently of uh, Travis Kelsey saying, oh, why wasn't he drafted sooner? And I go, when he was drafted in 13, I don't think anyone thought, hey, this guy's going to be all pro and one of the best, not even just tight ends, but catchers in the league. Like, that's the thing. Tight end's a position where there's only certain cases where some guys just come out of nowhere and burst on the scene, like what Gronk did and kind of what Hernandez did, unfortunately, before that all downward spiral happened. But that's just one thing I just wanted to add that I love. And even, too, I couldn't agree more when you said uh, veteran quarterback, Stidham, and then get a second or third day guy. For as much as I would love to draft up and get, like, a Zach Wilson or even Trey Lance, I feel like, look... I want a veteran to win now, and I feel like Bill wants that too. I feel like Bill doesn't want a uh, quarterback that he's got to work with and he doesn't know what exactly he's going to get transitioning from the college game to the pro game. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, if they have the ammo to get up there and get one of those guys, fine. That's fine with me. That's great. You're in the, you know, a, a top quarterback at the top of the draft, right? But you're in a position where you have a lot of holes to fill in a lot of key spots, right? Linebacker, you know, in particular, their front seven, quarterback, receiver, you know, tight end maybe. You have some spots where you don't really have – you can't, you know, give up uh, your first, your first next year, a second, a fourth, what it's going to take to get into that top ten. So when you look at it that way, yeah, there's going to be some quarterbacks on the market. There always is. Right now, what you see, there will be different ones in a month from now and teams turn to move on, right? Like – I think Matthew Stafford is a pipe dream. I don't think that happens, right? But someone like that or a Jimmy Garoppolo. I would love Jimmy Garoppolo back here. I think that's a guy that can step in and, and succeed in your system and is a perfect bridge guy for you, uh, can step in, win you games, not turn the football over, do the little things, make the throws when he needs to, and then you let Stidham kind of battle it out with the day two, three developmental guy and try to hit lightning in the bottle uh, in, the, in the you know second or third day, kind of like what you tried to do with Stidham. Um, I'm not saying the book's closed on him. I think it was a tough year for him in terms of the circumstances for him to step in and, and play right away. Uh, but I do think uh, they, they're not just going to hand it over to him. So uh, I think, too, if you ask anybody, what do you think they're going to do with the quarterback position? I don't care if it's somebody in the front office. I don't even know if they know yet. Uh, that's probably a, a situation where they're going to have to wait it out a little bit. and It might take them a little bit of time to, to go out and, and be active in that position. Exactly, because the other thing, too, with the Patriots that not a lot of people realize who aren't Patriot fans, but if there's a rumor that breaks of, hey, the Patriots are interested in this person, that never ends up happening because Bill Belichick likes to be quiet. Like, look at Cam. I I can remember it. I was um, with a couple people, and I got a text being like, Cam signed, and I'm like, what the like what the hell? Like, it caught everyone in Pat's Nation off guard. Like, that's the kind of thing that the Patriots love to do. And also, too, I think now... Especially with Casario leaving, we don't really know. Like, how, like I didn't feel like Bill's gonna have a little bit more say in the draft. Maybe Nike gets involved in drafting again. Who knows? Um, yes, have to, I'm sorry. I have to go there. It's just it is what it is. Uh, what can we say? Uh, he brought in Kyle Duggar. Um, yep. But yeah. that was a good pick. Yeah, but no, I'm just saying that with the quarterback thing. I feel like we probably won't know until after the combine because I feel like if Bill likes someone or if someone really catches his eye. He's going to draft up to get him, but I feel like if no one does, I wouldn't be shocked if he stayed at 15. 
and then goes ahead and drafts someone, or if, like, the right person comes in and, like, we know, look, right away, it's like, yeah, get him. That, I think that can happen, too. But it's a big wait and see with this team. But it's it, it, it's exciting, but it also scares me, just that whole relative unknown. Not as much as last year, because last year, like I said, we were playing the Brady waiting game, and then I woke up, and the first thing I saw on Instagram was a long post, and I'm like, oh, for, like, oh come on. But this year's going to be very different, because if we sign someone, I feel like you're going to have positive reactions to it, but then you're also going to have, like, the big negatives of, like, oh, why this? Because, like, even people, like, when I suggest Jimmy to people, people go to me and say, oh, he sucks. I'm like, he doesn't suck. He's the perfect game manager quarterback. Like, you're not asking him to go out there and chalk it for 400 yards a game. He can go out there and game manage, and, like, that's, yeah, and also, too, he's only lost eight games since he's uh, left the Patriots, too. Yeah, no, I mean, you see what that team is without him, right? I mean, he steps in, he's a winner. I mean, he went to the Super Bowl last year. Like, people forget that. And I know the injury stuff, right? It's, you know, an ankle sprain, the ACL, the shoulder here. Uh, It's football, it happens. Uh, I like to say, too, like, quarterbacks here, they typically don't get hurt. Uh, They do a pretty good job. Uh, It's a a unique system where they're getting the ball out quick. You don't really have much time to get to the quarterback. I mean, Tom was so good for so long. But even Cam, I mean... For his style of play, he kept himself pretty clean. I, I know he liked to initiate contact a little bit as a runner, but when he sat back there in the pocket, I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but that offensive line did a fantastic job. Uh, that's a spot where you know whoever comes in and steps in, they'll, they'll be able to keep him up and keep him clean. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one thing you said earlier about the pipe dream with Stafford, like I would love Stafford. It's just it's the cap hit, but part of me thinks too it may happen just because I really don't know where the Lions are going to be next year because I – Part of me thinks they are going to tear it down, and that's going to be a bit of a painful rebuild, even though it's been painful being a Lions fan. Um, the only thing I want to say is I love how I talk to people who are fan bases of other teams, and they expect us to be bad like within for the next like five, ten years. Like they every, everyone wants us in that quarterback, like hell, like oh haha, you suffer now. Part of me thinks, look, if they can get the right pieces and the right guys can work, and also too, I will say that I think, like you said earlier with the rookies. A proper offseason this year, you're going to see a lot of that, not sophomore slump, but I think you're going to see a sophomore just like go stock up because guess what? Everyone gets a proper offseason this year, OTAs. I'm sure it'll happen, probably distancing and everything, but having a proper offseason is very key and also I think a reason too why there was so many injuries this year, not just obviously with the Patriots, but league-wide. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that that, that certainly helps their advantage, those second-year guys. Uh, Colt McCoy talked about it, you know, his second year in the league. Um, after his rookie year, they had the lockout, so he didn't get a proper offseason. It's real tough on rookies, but it's, sometimes it's even harder on second-year guys, right? Because your rookie season's gone. It's such a blur from, you know, end of the college season to declaring for the draft, for training for the combine, to getting drafted, you know, to, to OTAs, and then you you blink and the season's over, right? And then you get in that second year, you kind of you have an understanding of being a pro. You know how to go about your business. You're kind of a leader in that younger group at the, at the OTAs when the, when the rookies come into minicamp. Um, so it's really important for first and second year guys. And yes, I, I do believe they'll, they'll have a proper off season. Certainly won't be like last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a key off season for some guys. I, I do think this operation, unfortunately, you know, with how good the league is and how good Miami and Buffalo were this year, who knows, you know, if they, they were one hit wonders, but it doesn't seem like it with the programs that both of those head coaches have built. This might be a three to four year operation before you're really, you know, contending again, and that's and it ultimately depends on hitting at the quarterback position and making sure you're set there for the next, you know, five to ten years. 
Um, exactly, because I was actually saying this um, to my girlfriend this weekend after the game, and I said, look, I'm not like, sure going to come out and say, say if we get a quarterback and the team's looking good, I'm not going to go, yeah, you know, 13-3, and we're looking unstoppable. Is I, I'll be content if we're, say, 10-6 and six and wild, like, not, or either in that wild card hunt till, like, week 16, week 17, like, either, look, we get in, just get in by the skin of our teeth, or we are just on the outside looking within. I know that sounds kind of crappy to say, but for as much as you want to see your team succeed, you have to be realistic. For sure. No, I think that's a realistic kind of approach to the season for the next few years. Like I said, I think they're a few years away because they have a lot of young guys at some key spots and and still developing them and, and still need, you know, they don't have a lot of depth at the linebacker position. I mean, the guys that are rolling out there in the last few weeks, um, you know, probably would be on a lot of teams practice squad. So they got a lot of holes there, obviously wide receiver. They got to figure it out there, hit at some piece, you know, Jacoby Myers certainly looks like a guy that can be a, a stretch two for any team, you know, go out, get a young guy, go out, get a proven wide receiver that can get you, you know, 60 to 70 catches and be a reliable target. Uh, and then you're looking up, you're, you're certainly improving offensively. I, I always say uh, they'll be better offensively next year, simply because I don't think you can be much worse. Exactly, and I feel like next year too. There's going to be certain games with a not a better, well, better quarterback, but like not a quarterback like Cam where he made the same mistakes. Like I feel like seven and nine can easily be nine and seven or ten and six next year. Like where we were win, win games like the Houston one this year or Denver. Because even looking ahead at our schedule for next year, for as tough and well, I'm going to say one game is going to be purely emotional. There is some potential to make some noise considering we play like Atlanta and Carolina where you don't really know what's happening there. Jacksonville, same thing, like, probably going to be Trevor Lawrence, but uh, we'll very interested to see what they do this offseason. But for as good the schedule looks, there is some games where I'm going, hmm, those could be tricky. Yeah, no, they, I mean, for a third-place schedule, for their first time playing that under really in 20 years, it's a tough schedule. Right? you got Cleveland, uh, the Chargers, you know, t- you play the NFC South, the AFC South, competitive teams, you know, Indy, Tennessee, and Houston in there, which, you know, you know them, you, you see them a lot, they'll give you trouble. Um, and then the Saints in Tampa, and then, you know, you're, you're six games against the division. So it's no cupcake schedule. It's probably one of the tougher third-place schedules across the league. So um, it, it certainly won't be like a gauntlet like they have this year, but it'll be up there. They'll have one of the tougher schedules in the league for sure. Yeah, for sure. But it's like just those games where, look, you're – not projected to win, but we kind of, hey, think, if there's games where we look at, we're saying, hey, we can go out there and win this, we got to win this. Like, I think next year things will be critical are like splitting with Buffalo, like you said, splitting with Miami, uh, going 2-0 and with the Jets, also too, depending on what they what they do this offseason, but I still think they're, that's still a work in progress just because we don't know who their head coach is yet. Um, LA, with the right coach, I think that's a playoff team 100%. Um, if and also to one thing I want to look at just with Buffalo quickly is I'm not saying they're world beaters, but I think if Dayball leaves, it's going to be very interesting to see how they are just because obviously with going from coordinator to coordinator. Yeah, I mean Dayball did a fantastic job. He's certainly one of the hottest you know coaching candidates out there. Uh, it'll be interesting with the Bills. I think you know the biggest question with them going into the year, you know they had the talent, they had the pieces around them. It was was Josh Allen going to make that next step? I personally thought no I didn't think he was good enough he took a major step forward and there he's the reason they are where they are now it's 
you know, can he do this consistently, win consistently, win the division consistently? That'll be now his, his biggest question going forward, which is a complete unknown. Certainly after the year he's having and the amount of growth he's made in that system, it seems like a real possibility. Exactly. It's not, now it was, hey, can you make the leap? But now it's, hey, can you stay the same or can you get even better than you were before? So those are just things the AFC East I wanted to point out that um, intrigues me. But when it comes to getting like a veteran wide receiver, what are like a few names that you would like to have? Now I'm obviously saying there's a few that could be pipe dreams, but who are some names that like you look at in the free agency market? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously you have the big name guys, right? Like, you know, Alan Robinson and Will Fuller and, you know, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Corey Davis, like guys like that that are, are well-known, proven NFL receivers, right? But you kind of go down to that second-tier guys. And I, I, I kind of loop them in here. Curtis Samuel, um, you know, a, a guy like Nelson Aguilar or Rashard Higgins. Um, you know, Godwin's obviously up there. Galladay for elite quarter, uh, wide receivers. A guy I really like is Tim Patrick out of Denver. I think he's a, you know, a sound route runner, somebody that consistently makes plays when the ball's thrown his way. So, I mean, hey, if they, like I said with Henry in the tight end position, if you want to go make a big splash and pay a guy a top dollar, at, whether it's Henry a tight end or one of these top wide receivers, fine with me, right? But I think when you look at their cap and what they have to do over the offseason, kind of getting that second tier of receivers in here where it's immediately going to upgrade your room and, and, and give you more catches and, and help your offense – Someone like a guy like Tim Patrick, Curtis Samuel, you know, guys like that that can really, really help you out. Exactly, and then they won't break the bank. Like, for me, Chris Godwin's, like, my pipe dream tight end, uh, not tight end, wide receiver to get, but... Oh, for sure, yeah. I, I just think there is a chance that he leaves Tampa just because I feel like he wants to be that wide receiver one somewhere because I feel like it will always be Mike Evans is the wide receiver one there, and I think the Bucks do keep Antonio Brown. Um, just trying to think of what to talk about, but no, the other thing with the draft, though, is... If they don't get an offensive weapon right away, everyone's going to go like, oh, Bill's at it again, yada, yada, yada. If they draft like a linebacker or even a D-tackle in the first round, I'm not going to be mad. Like, look, it's at this point, fill whatever holes you can. Do like you do what you got to do. Um, this year, I usually watch the combine, but like I'm not like strictly glued to it. I think this year I'm going to be because you, you want to see, hey, what certain guys are capable of. And then to when they come in here, it's time to go to work. No, for sure. Yeah, that that those are, you know, spots where they can certainly upgrade through the draft. Another elite wide receiver class, you know, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle certainly lead the pack. But there's guys that'll be available at 15. Maybe one of those guys falls into their lap. That I'd love to see them, you know, make a big splash there. Get a, a true playmaker that can be a day one impact player. But guys like Kadarius Tony out of Florida, Rashad Bateman. Um, you know, guys like that that are first round picks that may be, you know, taken in the in the third tier of the first round, but somebody that they may really like. Uh, personally, there's so many ways they can go with that pick 15. They're kind of, they know they're in a tough spot in terms of needing a quarterback, but if you want to trade out and somebody really likes someone there, you'll be able to, you know, maybe move back a couple slots, get the guy that you really like, as well as load up on a second and third because they did lose their, their own third round pick for that Cincinnati debacle. Um, so that's certainly an option too. moving out, getting a guy uh, like a linebacker, an edge talent or a wide receiver, somebody that'll make an impact day one, like you saw with Duggar, as well as, you know, load up on some picks in, in day two. Yeah, exactly. Because like, look, if someone's there um, at the taking, like we saw last year with the Chargers, because also too, I remember I heard you say this a while ago where 
you thought that uh, Bill wanted Justin Jefferson, but once the, he went to the Vikings, you thought, hey, he backed out, but then also the Chargers were clearly gunning for Kenneth Murray. Um, those are just some great, excellent points. One other receiver I think we could get potentially is Chris Olave, but I don't know if he's that same impact as like a Jamar Chase or a Devontae Smith. Oh, no, Chris Olave is a, a legit wide receiver. His stock goes up each right. week. That's a guy that'll probably be the fourth or fifth wide receiver off the board after that Waddle Chase uh, Devontae Smith range. Um, it'll just be kind of depend on, you know, if he's higher on some other team's boards. But that's a that's a proven, you know, NFL receiver that will step in. Uh, and, and Ohio State has a record for, for proving for proven NFL talent and, and translating to the pro game from Michael Thomas to Curtis Samuel uh, and, and guys like that. Exactly. Like, that's what I meant, like, with Chris Olave. Like, I'm saying, like, I wasn't saying, like, he's a top, like, not a top NFL wide receiver, but, like, I feel like he, like, he's not exactly, like, there. But, even if they can get like a CD Lamb situation, where look, he may not, you may need someone else of other need, but if he's the best player on your board, you go and take him. Yeah, same with Kyle Pitts, right? That's a spot where uh, he's kind of that modern day tight end, where he's a chess piece on offense. Obviously, needs some work as a blocker, but you have guys Asiasi proved this year that you know he can be an inline guy, put his hand in the dirt, and contribute in the run game, and then you can line up Pitts all over the formation see some time in the slot, and that's a guy who can step in and, and, and contribute because I think he's a wide receiver playing tight end, kind of like a Travis Kelsey. Exactly. That's the one thing I was going to say, too, with your tight end argument, um, where if they don't exactly get that great guy like a Hunter Henry from free agency, if they get like a, a glue guy who will come in and do his job, that's where the Kyle Pitts opportunity uh, comes to play. Well, anyway, Ryan, I know you're a very busy man and you got to go, but I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk some Patriots football with me. Uh, like we said, not the best season in the world, but you know what? There's only room to go up. Like, I'll, as a Pats fan, I'm always going to be optimistic, but you know what? I'll always look at the glass half full, and I uh, appreciate you very much coming on the talk, Pats. Anytime, Griff. We'll, we'll get together again. Just hit me up, and uh, we'll do this for sure sometime in the future. We'll do. Sounds good, man. Uh, for anyone who can right. find Ryan on Twitter, it's Ryan underscore Spags, I believe. Correct. You got it right, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, anyway, Ryan, you have a good day, and uh, we'll talk later. Talk to you, Griff. Take care. Take care. Thanks. That was Ryan Spagnoli of Pat's Pulpit, everyone. Thank you very much once again to him for coming on. Uh, obviously, some World Junior rubs uh, his way because USA did beat Canada for the gold. A little, little salty, just a little salty about that, but eh, it's no big deal. At the end of the day, Ryan and I are still buddies on here. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for episode 53. Quick, short episode, nothing major. Hopefully, uh, Ryan and I, uh, our conversation enlightened Pat's fans. And you know what? For other fans, you can go, huh, keep dreaming. But you know what? For the Pat's fans out there, we appreciate you. But anyway, guys, I'm going to drop the hammer now. Big episode coming tomorrow night. Big Rat and Danny so far confirmed. A couple other faces maybe dropping by. I don't know. But, man, we're that episode's going to be more pure NFL where we're going to talk about the coaching carousel that happened with everyone getting uh, parting ways or fired. Uh, we're going to look for the wild card weekend. we got some debates to settle. we got some Twitter arguments to settle. So buckle up as tomorrow night's episode. It's going to be a heated one, and I cannot wait. But thank you once again, everybody, listening for the very first episode of not just 2021 and episode 53, but season two of YWC Football Talk. Thank you, everybody, and have a good night. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.